Yes, our reading is from uh, Luke chapter 16, and we're reading from verse 16, and it's on page 1050, if you're using the Bibles in the pews. Page 1050, Luke chapter 16, and we'll begin halfway down the left-hand column in verse 16. Jesus said, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John... Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dick. Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you. Um, I'm sorry it's a little bit colder in here this morning than we would have liked. If you haven't grabbed one of the blankets and you feel like you would like to have one, they're in the basket just over there. I guess this is the bit of the service where we'll sit still for a few minutes, so it might be the time when you fancy one, and I will not be offended at all if you go and grab one uh, while I'm speaking. Um, Also, um, apologies, we don't have uh, groups for children this morning. We're delighted there are a few uh, children here. Uh, We don't expect them to be completely quiet. We like to to hear their presence, and there are some toys and things at the front, and uh, parents do feel free to make use of them if you want to. And uh, those of you who um, may not be able to hear very well, there's plenty of space nearer the front if you'd like to come and join me. So um, do feel free to do that as well. Uh, It's said, isn't it, that there are two certain things in life, very famously, death and taxes. Uh, Most people like to moan about one of those. And uh, if you've been watching the news in recent weeks, there's been plenty to moan about if um, if you're uh, of that ilk, I guess. Um, But we don't want to talk about the other one at all, do we? Um, Death. Uh, We all know it's there, 
but of course, we'd rather not think about it. And I think that's a particularly 21st century thing in, in many ways. It's been said about the Victorians, for example, that they were obsessed with death, uh, but they avoided ever having to talk about sex. Uh, you might say that's been turned on its head in the 21st century, might you? That sex is everywhere, you can't avoid it, nothing is taboo, but phew, no, we'd really rather not talk about death at all. Thank you very much if we can avoid it. Um, Jesus, of course, if you've read the Gospels, has plenty to say about both of them. Um, as is his wont, he, he doesn't hold back on talking about difficult things. And uh, our parable today, the fifth of the stories that Jesus has been telling through these two chapters... I guess in many ways is really about death. Uh, but before that, just briefly, you'll have seen that Jesus also says something about sex and marriage in verse 18. What I want to say by way of introduction is that we shouldn't miss the context for all of what Jesus says here, um, all of his comments, because they follow on from what he says first of all in verses 16 and 17 about the law and the prophets. Um, do keep your Bibles open on page 1050 for a few moments if you would. Um, right back at the beginning, Jesus says this, verse 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. That's John the Baptist. He's saying, you know, you've got the whole of the Old Testament. That's the law and the prophets. You've got John the Baptist. And then since that time, he says, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. He's saying a new era has now arrived. Now I'm here. Now Jesus is here. It's the kingdom of God. Um, everything that went before was pointing to it. And what I'm now bringing is the fulfillment of that. Um, but he wants to emphasize that what Jesus brings is not a replacement for what God has said or done in the past. It's not that all of that is kind of passe, out of date, and now I've got something different. No, all of, all of the law, all of the prophets, Moses and all the rest of them, right through to John the Baptist, he's saying, it's been pointing to me. And so he's at pains to, to, to make it clear that the law hasn't disappeared and so he talks about, about, about marriage and encapsulates really in that, in that verse 18. He's saying, you know, I'm not rejecting what's been said before. Everything the Old Testament has, has, has said in the law, um, I am affirming I'm here to fulfill it. Uh, and then in the focus of our passage this morning, he goes on to talk more about death in this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I want to say three things. Um, first one I've kind of already said really. Uh, it's that Jesus' kingdom is new, but also old, because it fulfills everything that the Bible has been saying. Secondly, that Jesus' kingdom is good news for the poor. And thirdly, that Jesus' kingdom comes with convincing evidence for those with eyes to see. Um, first of all, just briefly to finish off that first point, that Jesus' kingdom is the fulfillment of all that's gone before. He says in verse 17, it's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. And we've seen that he then applies that in verse 18 to God's vision to sex and marriage, but it goes deeper than that. Because if you look right at the end of our passage to verse 31, at the end of the parable, um, he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, in other words, all those who've gone in the centuries before, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. He's saying, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, because that's who he's primarily speaking to here, if you look back at verse 14, he's saying, you shouldn't be surprised at what I'm saying about my kingdom, because it's just what Moses said it would be. 
It's what Elijah and Isaiah and all the rest of the prophets said it would be. Uh, and if you don't believe them, well, then nothing else I do is going to convince you. Well, there's a challenge for us all in how we come to what God says there. Um, but I want to major particularly on the second thing, which is that Jesus' kingdom is good news for the poor. Let's have a look at this story. And there are two men in it, aren't there? With two very different lives. And as Jesus shows us, two very different destinies. And while we're, we're probably not meant to take every single detail of this story literally, um, for example, in the apparent communication going on between heaven and hell, we are meant to hear what Jesus is saying about how we live and what it means. And the first man is described in verse 19. Have a look. It says he's dressed in purple and fine linen. In other words, riches. He, it says he lived in luxury every day. So he's got everything he could want. In our terms, we might say he's got designer clothes. He's got food from the finest restaurants, a life of comfort, of pleasure, and of success. Think of a rich person. Yeah, I don't know, you might think of Elon Musk, or you might think of Rishi Sunak, or maybe a member of the royal family, I don't know. Um, this man is, is not concerned about mortgage rates going up a bit. He's not worrying about his heating bills. As verse 25 puts it, in his lifetime, he has received many good things. It's a man with no problems in life, none at all. Um, every day, he wafts past this beggar at his gate in his Rolls Royce without giving a second's thought. That's what you do in a Rolls Royce, isn't it? You waft. You don't drive a Rolls Royce. He doesn't really have any problems in his life. But as we will see, it's at death that his problems begin. Um, then there's a second man. He is just the polar opposite, isn't he, of the first. Uh, his life is one of poverty and of suffering. We're told he's laid, sprawled at the rich man's gate. I imagine it was a fabulous gate where this beggar is lying. One of them's got fine clothes. The other one is covered in sores. And Jesus says he was licked by the dogs. It's awful to even think about, isn't it? I imagine he just longs to eat the food that falls from the rich man's table. In fact, maybe his meals do come from the wheelie bin that's parked outside those fantastic gates. The rich man looks at Lazarus with contempt, perhaps thinking, why doesn't he get a job? As he invests in hedge funds on his mobile phone as he drives past in his roller. Uh, he's the kind of man who hears of refugees arriving freezing cold across the English Channel and is completely unmoved and hard-hearted towards their plight. But there is one thing that the poor man has which the rich man doesn't. Did you notice when Dick was reading it a moment ago? Uh, the one thing he does have is a name. And I want to say that must be extremely significant. In fact, he is the only named character in any of Jesus' parables. Uh, and that is not accidental. His name is Lazarus, which comes from the Hebrew Eliezer, which means the one who God helps. And that's an amazing thing. He is known by God, by his name. He is known. Um, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, you may remember in Matthew chapter 7, warns that not all those who claim to belong to God are known by him. To some he may say, depart from me, I never knew you, but Lazarus is known. This poor man who goes through so much suffering somehow continues to look to God for help. 
while the rich man, who's fine, completely sorted, doesn't. It's an interesting parallel, isn't it? One of them has riches, but no identity. The other one has nothing, but is known by God. So which one would you rather be? It's obvious in the parable who we should want to emulate, isn't it? But how many of us actually spend our time wishing we could be a bit more like the rich man? I know I am tempted to be like that. Maybe I don't need the Rolls Royce, uh, but wouldn't it be nice just to have a little bit more, be a little bit more comfortable, whatever it might be? Verse 22, though, the time comes, Jesus says. That's what it does. It comes. Death comes. The beggar dies. He goes to join Abraham, who died long ago. The rich man dies. Everyone in the verse is dead by the end of verse 22. Life is short. Um, We prefer not to think about that, don't we? But in a few years' time, all of us will die too. Cheery welcome to church this Sunday morning, isn't it? But we all know that. We just prefer not to think about it. And the Bible is packed full of warnings about how short our lives are. Uh, You might think of Psalm 103. Our days are like grass, like the flowers of the field. The wind goes over it and in its place knows it no more. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days. That number is not infinity. Hosea 13 says they will be like the morning dew, like the early dew that disappears, like smoke escaping through a window. Well, that's you and me, isn't it? That's our lives on earth. It's powerful pictures. But Jesus' key point here isn't so much that we will die, that we will, it's that death is not the end. And so the question for all of us is, well, what sort of end will it be? Uh, As Tom put it last week, are we planning for retirement or are we planning for eternity? The rich man has lived his life for now, uh, for himself in every way. He's ignored God and he's ignored the poor man at his gate. In verse 20, and isn't it ironic, even as he suffers various torments after his death, he's still demanding that Lazarus come and and help him. This man who didn't lift a finger to help Lazarus during his life. But as Abraham says, verse 25, Son, remember, in this life you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, while you are in agony. And in verse 26, there's a great chasm between them, and it can't be crossed. Even then, the rich man still seems to think he should be able to boss Lazarus around. So he says, all right, then, can we send him to my brothers to warn them uh, so that they don't make the same mistake? But again, Abraham says, you know, they don't need Lazarus. They've got Moses and all the prophets. It's Jesus' point that all the evidence is there. Um, time and again in the Gospels, though, uh, and Luke makes particular uh, um, makes a particular emphasis of this theme, that it is those who are poor, poor materially and poor in spirit, who are more likely to be open to God. Uh, The problem for the, the rich man and his brothers isn't lack of evidence, it's hardened hearts, hard both to God and hard to the poor man at the gate, to the refugee at the port, to the family at the food bank. Expressed in that way. And so those who are self-satisfied now, as revealed in their attitudes, often fail to listen to the warnings that God has given and find themselves with nothing. Those who have little but are rich towards God find salvation and eternal hope in Jesus. 
Jesus' kingdom is good news for the poor, and it's for two reasons. Uh, One is that he offers eternal hope to those who don't have much materially, but also because he challenges those of us with plenty to be generous towards those who don't. So finally, uh, Jesus' kingdom comes with convincing evidence if we will have eyes to see. Um, Abraham says in verse 29, look, they've been warned. God has spoken. The rich man thinks what his brothers need is is kind of Christmas carol, isn't it? What they need is like Scrooge, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Lazarus to come and appear to them, and then they will believe. Um, But Abraham uh, says, because Jesus knows this won't make any difference, verse 31, if they won't listen to all that God has already said, they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Um, Not Lazarus, if he goes back to them. Um, Not the real Lazarus, the other one in John chapter 11, Jesus' friend, who Jesus will raise from the dead very shortly, Um, not even by the resurrection of Jesus himself, for which there will be ample evidence. Now, Jesus' kingdom comes with many convincing signs, both in terms of testimony, what the prophets have said, what the apostles say, and also in terms of miracles, uh, the miracle of the resurrection most of all. It isn't lack of evidence. The issue is an unwillingness to believe a hard heart. Uh, In the end, to reject Jesus isn't primarily an intellectual decision. We like to think we're very rational, don't we? And we only make make up our minds based on what the evidence says. But to reject Jesus is rebellion against the God who loves us and who wants to save us from hell. And if I may, let me just say a word or two about hell this morning. Um, It's an uncomfortable subject, isn't it? If we don't want to talk about death, we definitely don't want to think about hell. Um, And believe me, I'm not a preacher who loves to stand here, and I'm not going to start banging the pulpit. It's, um, It's uncomfortable. But Jesus really talks about it a lot, doesn't he? It's one of those things he does. He repeatedly, through the Gospels, just goes to all the topics that we'd rather not think about, and he gives us stern warnings. Um, And it's, of course, uncomfortable to read of where our sin will lead us. But Jesus insists on the reality of hell. Um, It's one of the reasons why, I mean, I'm fairly relaxed um, about funerals um, in many ways. Um, When there are funerals in church, people ask for all kinds of different things. I try to say yes whenever I can. And we've had all kinds of different sorts of, you know, pop songs and classical music and things which have helped to remember someone who's died. Uh, One of the few songs I have said no to is Imagine by John Lennon, um, which was fine. It wasn't a problem with with the family who asked for that. But the reason was because, of course, of those famous lyrics, Imagine There's No Heaven. Uh, It's it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Now, I don't think John Lennon's got a Christian view of heaven and hell. It's more of a kind of Greek um, idea of it he's talking about there, isn't it? But the point is that... uh, The Bible says that the dream of people living together as one is only found in Jesus, not anywhere else. And Jesus is the theologian of hell. He's the one who talks about it. Um, Why does he do it? He does it because he loves us. Um, He loves me and he loves you. And he doesn't want any of us to end up separated from God for eternity. And he cares about it so much that he goes to the cross We're not far away from it now in Luke 16. And he is going there to die in my place and your place um, to receive the kind of torment that the rich man in this story receives so that you don't have to and I don't have to. He does that for us. 
he is ready and willing to face hell in our place. As one writer put it, because of Jesus, the road to hell is now blocked by the cross. We can only get there if we're really determined to, by trampling over the cross of Jesus. Rico Tice says that. And refusing to offer the gift that he offers us. Whereas for those like Lazarus, whose trust is clearly in God, and perhaps despite all that life has thrown at him, who listen to what the prophets say and see what the risen Jesus has done, the promises of greater things than we can imagine. As, the, as Paul puts it in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. I don't know what you would say is the most glorious moment of your life. What comes to mind for you when I ask that? You might think of you know, a particular day, something that was just brilliant. Maybe it's your wedding day, maybe it's the birth of a child, I don't know. Whatever it might be, multiply that by many times and you still can't imagine how good are the things that God has in store for those who love him. And it's all because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, so as I close, um, where are we in a parable like this one? Where, where do you find yourself in this story? Um, can I suggest that probably all of us in some way find ourselves in the position of the five brothers of this man who has died? And I simply say that because they're the ones who aren't dead yet, aren't they? Like us, still here. And so we're left with some questions as people in that position. Uh, what will we do with the warnings Jesus gives us? What will we do with the cross of Jesus? What will we do about the poor at the gate? God knows Lazarus' name. Does he know your name? He knows your name as you respond to the death of his son who died for you. So I just want to suggest two possible responses for us today. Um, the first one for those of us who are Christians, which I take it is most of us here in church this morning. Um, and if you're a Christian, you'll have thought about these things before. And I realize I've been largely saying things that you already know. Um, you take Jesus' warning seriously. So as Christians, what should we do? Well, can I suggest uh, we need to ask, what will we do to warn others of the danger? And secondly, what will we do for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the refugee at our gates? And I want to suggest that some Christians like to emphasize one of those two things more than the other. And we need both. And then lastly, for those who might be here this morning and you're not sure you would want to describe yourself as a Christian, and if that is you, by the way, uh, I'm really glad you are here. St. Luke's is not just a place for Christians, it's a place for anyone to come who wants to think about spiritual things, things of life and death. And if that is you... Will you respond to the warnings that Jesus gives us here? To his offer of forgiveness and to his promise of life. Uh, and if that is you, why not do that today? Many of us here have taken that decision at some point. And so I'm going to pray for us now. And if you want to echo this prayer in your hearts, you can just say amen at the end of it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of love. You are the God who sent your Son to rescue your world, and you call us to be your sons and daughters who you know by name. 
Lord, thank you that you are the God who cares about those who are struggling. And I pray for any here this morning who are facing really hard times, that they would know your comfort and your help. And Lord, if there is anyone here who has not turned to Jesus before but would like to do that, Father, may they know that as they accept what you have done, you know each one of us by name and your promises stand for us. We ask this in the name of your Son who died and rose again, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.